Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. All right, uh, this morning we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. We've talked from, from time to time how in today's moment there is literally endless content. If you were devoted to just consuming all of the content that is available to you, you would fail miserably because there is an endless amount. You pick the the genre, the type, you can find anything you want to watch, listen to, read about. My wife loves anything set in like the World War II era, books, movies, shows, that's her thing. If you're into sci-fi, there's endless options or documentaries. There's a documentary about everything. Everything. If you're into sports like me, it's a really crazy world now because you can watch old people that used to play sports, watching young people that are playing sports now, and you're watching the old people who are watching the young people play sports. It's crazy, and it sounds ridiculous, but somehow it's really entertaining. I actually like it. You can find anything you want. In the, the Christian spectrum, it's maybe even more so. You can find any topic, you can find any teaching to support any argument that you want about it, about Jesus, about the scriptures, about topical things, sermons, podcasts, social media posts, books, articles, it's, it's endless. And, and one of the jobs that we have to do today is figure out how to filter through all the content. What is worthwhile and good and what actually leads us Astray, and it, it can seem as if that's a much harder job today than it was back in the day when the scriptures were written. But they were going through the same exact issues as we talked about last week. First John is written by John to a church, a, a group of people, and most likely the city of Ephesus then, who were facing a lot of false teaching. Things said about Christianity, about following Jesus, about Jesus himself that weren't accurate. And so in our text today, what John is actually doing is providing a a pretty simple test to say, these are the teachers and the teachings you should listen to, and these are the teachers and the teachings you should not listen to. And so we'll spend our time this morning looking at this this test he provides. We can go ahead and and begin reading in verse 5. John says this. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, meaning he's heard this from Jesus himself. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 
There's a lot of very powerful statements made in, in those verses. And it could also seem maybe a little bit confusing. It seems like he's almost contradicting himself at a few different points. So we'll break it down kind of one step at a time, beginning with verse five. Now, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. The start here is, is pretty straightforward and, and simple, actually. What is light and what is darkness? Light is perfection. Light is having nothing to hide. Light is a, a person that is completely, absolutely, fully confident. So there's no darkness, there's no shadows, there's no manipulation, there's no hiding. Light is what causes growth and produces food. Light really is life. Without light, there is no life. And there's this intellectual and this moral side to light and darkness. Intellectually, light equals truth. Darkness, intellectually, is ignorance or error. And a lot of us like to remain ignorant on things. We'd rather live in the darkness so we don't have to deal with realities. We might know the truth, but we don't want to know the truth. We don't want to actually grasp it and comprehend it and know for certain because then we have to do something about it. And so sometimes it's easier if we just kind of leave things a little bit away, just enough that we don't have to go, okay, I'm responsible to change. Okay, I'm responsible to do something about that. And we choose darkness. We choose ignorance so that we don't have to handle things. Morally, there's a moral component to this light and darkness conversation as well. Morally, light is purity and darkness is evil. So when someone is teaching something and we read about it in an article, you hear it in a sermon, in a podcast, a conversation, whatever it is, it's important to ask the question, does this teaching frame who God is as perfect, as light. There is absolutely no darkness in him. Or does that teaching present intentionally or unintentionally some flaw in God's character, some flaw in God's plan, some flaw in how God answers the questions about the confusing, complicated, broken things in our world? some flaw about how God is capable or not, whether he cares or whether he doesn't. If the teaching doesn't present Jesus as perfect, then that teaching doesn't pass the test. I've, I've found as I was thinking about this, this word perfect that I greatly overuse and misuse the word perfect in my life. It's like my go-to. If I get an email from somebody or a text about something that was a, a task that needed completed or, or whatever it is, I go, perfect. And I don't mean that everything about that job or that email or that task was perfect. There's probably uh, some imperfections. What I mean is, great job, keep up the good work. Let's move forward with that. So maybe a better word to, to think about is flawless, that our God is actually without one single flaw. Do you think about that? We can get caught up in maybe the holiness of Christ. He's set apart. We can get uh, amazed about this love that surpasses understanding, that God himself would, would leave his throne in, in heaven figuratively to walk on earth as a man and to hang on a cross in our place, and that's astonishing. But do you ever take time to reflect on the fact 
that Jesus does not have one flaw. And that's what John is saying. God is light, and there is no, zero darkness in him. Any teaching that portrays anything different, right there we know there's an issue. Question number one of John's test that that we should use and apply to all of the content pushed at us is does this teaching or does this teacher portray a single flaw in who God is? If so, that teaching and that teacher fails the test and that's not somebody we should follow or listen to. All right, on to the the second part in, in verse six. John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, Jesus, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. I'm gonna read that again. If we say we have fellowship with him, meaning we say we're, we're Christians, we say we're following Jesus, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. You, you have to kind of think about this this way. John wouldn't write this unless it was a common reality. He's sitting there writing a letter about things he was seeing happening with people he cared about. There were people who claimed Christ and the life of Christ and salvation and God's work in their lives, yet who were walking in darkness. And he's saying this isn't how it works. Back to the intellectual and moral part of darkness and light. To walk in darkness intellectually means to believe something that is not true. Means to accept something that is flawed, something that is an error, something that is wrong as truth, and to to live with that in mind. John, as he writes this letter to this church at Ephesus, is being very specific with what we talked about last week. To accept any form of Jesus that does not include Jesus as fully God, man, and flawless, fully God, fully human, and flawless, is a a flawed understanding. It does not pass the test. There's religions uh, in our our country, many, especially with with people that are gonna come and knock on your door, maybe when you don't want to, have a conversation, and it's always centered on Jesus. Is he fully God? Is he fully man? And is he fully flawless? That's the foundation. That's the beginning of this pass-fail test. And maybe something we should think about in this when we apply this test is that it doesn't even need to be just about who God is. It could be teaching about politics. It could be teaching about end times. It could be teachings about marriage or sexuality or anything. But if that teacher doesn't have the foundation of who God is is perfectly light with no darkness in him, if that teacher doesn't have the foundation of Jesus as fully God, fully man, fully flawless, then it doesn't matter what other topics they teach on. It's built on a broken foundation and it's gonna have a lot of costly errors. <clears throat> That's the intellectual side. Not to walk in, in darkness morally is a, a little bit different. If we actually have Christ in our lives, so not just we, we said a prayer emotionally someday about who Christ is, but Christ is working in our lives and we know him and he knows us and he's leading us. If we've embraced his love and confessed our sin and and we have union with him, then there will be change in our lives. You will not look the same as you used to. There's an old man and a new man. Sin will decrease. 
the impact of it will lessen. Its disease will start to dwindle. If sin just perpetuates in your life and there isn't progress, you should probably ask some questions about your life and about Christ in it. Or if you're devoted to him or if you even actually know him. That might sound harsh, but that's what John is is actually saying here. When we have fellowship with Jesus, by the power of the spirit, sin will dissipate. It's it's kind of this, this thing in our life where you're either moving forward or backwards. There's no middle ground, there's no neutral. Either sin is growing or sin is dying. Either you're growing in Christ to be who he's made you to be or you're not. If sin isn't dissipating, something is wrong. And so that's a question we should ask of ourselves, but we should also ask of anybody that's teaching. Now this does not demand perfection because none of us have that. So when we step back and assess our lives or the life of somebody else, we're not looking at like, oh, did they sin an hour ago? Forget them. Or in our life, how did we do yesterday? It's not about days or weeks, maybe not even months. We're gonna have ups and downs. But as you look at the long-term chart, as days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years, turn into decades, are you different now than you were then? Do you see the work of Christ in your life? Because Christ works. He's not lazy, he's not ineffective, he's always successful. So he will create good fruit. There will be a, a product, there will be change and health in our lives. Not perfection, but progress. Sin should not be the king in our lives reigning. Living human outside of God's intent, we just prayed in our time of prayer, uh, confession, Living outside of God's intent should not be the norm, it should be the exception. Both will be there, but again, one's the norm, one's the exception. I knew a couple once that we shared meals with and got to know their kids well, and I'll I'll never forget this couple because of of what happened in their life. The, The husband was a pretty large man, not in a healthy kind of way, he was fat but he went to work out three, four, five days a week for hours at a time. This was the norm. You'd be at dinner with this family and husband would just leave to go work out and everyone knew he just he went to work out constantly. Years later, it was uh, found out that he was having an affair and he never actually went to the gym to work out. That's what he said he was doing when he went to be with his other lady friend. And I will never forget the, the look of horror and the sound of his wife's voice when she, she said in this kind of brutal coping moment using comedy as a kind of healer to get through, she's like, I always wondered how he could be so fat and spend so much time at the gym. And you go, this is harsh and true, but it's actually a perfect picture of this. If you actually go to the gym and you actually work out and, and you're doing these things, there's going to be change in our lives with Christ. If he's working in your life, there will be change. And if there's not, it means under the surface, somewhere hidden in the darkness, not the light, something isn't right. And it's not complicated. We like to overcomplicate things and add excuses and all kinds of other things. It's not that complicated. Our lives with Christ will get better. They will not be perfect. We're gonna get to that in a second. John's gonna make it very clear. But you will see Jesus working, do you? In your own life, and then in the life of those you hear from. 
is their progress. These are portions of the, the test that we need to use. Tom Thatcher put it this way in his commentary on this verse. Deeds are the test for words. And while words can be false, John seems to believe that a person's actions reveal his or her true nature. To summarize the, the second part of this test, any teaching that comes from someone claiming to have Jesus with their words, but whose life is littered with sins, lacks repentance, and shows little to no progress fails the test. When it comes to teaching we consume in any form, we should know about the teacher, not just what they're teaching. There's a foundation there that matters. They don't need to be perfect. They can't be perfect. In fact, if they claim that, if they're not repentant, if some of their sin is not obvious, there's a problem. We'll get to that in a minute. But is there progress over time? So Jesus, there's always going to be. And a a side note there too, what happens behind the scenes is what's most important. It's where we see the real person. On to the next part of the the test, verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Once again, there's light, there's darkness, there's the intellectual and the moral side of this. To walk in the light is to walk with honesty about who God is and who we are and with purity. We, we grow in our sin. We, recognize, we grow from our sin, I mean. We recognize our own sin and faults and failure and we recognize the flawlessness of Jesus. To, to walk in darkness with dishonesty and impurity has an intellectual and moral component as well. If we're dishonest, we minimize our own sin and our own faults and our own failures, and we minimize the divinity and the humanity and the flawless nature of Jesus. To walk in darkness minimizes both. To walk in light, we're not ashamed of our own sin and our own issues. We're very aware of it. And it's okay because of who Jesus is and how perfect he is. It's the intellectual side on the the moral side of this part. As Christians, we should step in darkness, but walk in light. And maybe I shouldn't say we should step, but we're going to. We step in darkness, but we walk in light. There's a difference there. We step in and we step out, it's temporary. It's minimal, but our walking is ongoing and leads us. It has a destination. One is the exception, the other is the norm. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we step in darkness, but walk in the light? Or do we walk in darkness and happen to step in the light every now and then? It's kind of back to our prayer. Do we trust Jesus with our mind and our our thinking? Do we trust him with our sight and how we perceive the world, our ears and how we hear, our feet and where we go, our hands and where we work, our heart and what we desire? And we just go, I'm gonna give you this part of me for now, Jesus. I'm gonna step in some light. Do we walk in light and step in darkness? Or do we step in light and walk in the darkness? For followers of Jesus, we will step in the darkness. We will sin. We make mistakes, we're far from perfect. We frequently need to repent. 
I love that in the Gospels. The people that knew Christ best confessed and repented the most with the least delay. The the better you know Jesus, the easier it is to actually free yourself from sin. We're gonna talk about this next week. Through confession and repentance. You have nothing to be ashamed of. It's never been about you. It's easy to own that because everyone has the same issues and we just bring it to Christ and then he starts working. The less we understand his love, the longer it takes us to confess and to repent. In his commentary on on this passage, John Stott said that to walk is to habitually live. Do you habitually live and walk in darkness or do you habitually live and walk in light? We're all gonna do both. In which area do you spend more time? And who is king? Does sin reign in your life as king? Meaning, is it the primary influence? Or is Jesus? The other night, we were gonna have some uh, pot roast for dinner. And we're about to sit and eat, and I, my, my wife and, and kids are waiting for me, and I'm like, oh, we need some horseradish to go with this, or it's not a complete meal. And so I went to the fridge to see if we had any, and we did not, which was a problem, and they're all waiting to eat, but my horseradish was more important than that at the moment. So I had to go to the local grocery store. I have two options very near my house. One is my sister's house, and the other is my mother's house. And before I choose which I'm gonna go to, I'll call that grocery store and be like, hey, do you have horseradish in stock? And there'll be yes or no, and I can pick either one. And so it was dark, but that was okay because I had my my phone and my flashlight for this like 50 yard walk that, you know, in the dark has some potential pitfalls because I had a dog that that died. Somebody came up to me in between services and, and went, your daughter died? I'm like, no, my daughter did not die. My dog died a long time ago and we buried this dog, Rhea, in the the yard there. And it was a while ago, so the ground's kind of sunk there and there's rocks and it's a tripping hazard. There's also two little ravines with river rock you could fall into. There's some trees, some other boulders. There's a water line I had to fix recently and I don't know why, but I didn't fill that hole so it's the perfect size to just fall into and break a leg. I should probably fix that, but I haven't. And as I went to get my horseradish, I thought about that. So I pulled out the light and I walked uh, to my sister's house and the plan went great until I got to my sister's house and she gave me the horseradish. But then she also gave me a massive box of diapers and then a massive box of baby wipes and then some other gifts. And so now I have these things stacked in my hand above my my eye level. I can't put the light out. I can't even see in front of me. Somehow I made it home without falling in the, the dark, which would have made my wife happy if I fell and didn't get hurt too bad. She enjoys that. But if I would have made that trip a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time in the dark, I would fall. I would have lost everything. It's going to happen eventually. That's the way it works with walking in the dark in a hazardous pathway, which is life. You can get away with it for a while, but eventually you will fall, and eventually you will pay the price. And here's the the worst part of it. Eventually, someone else will pay the price for your decision to walk in the darkness. Our sin never only impacts us. It always is relational. You might think it doesn't impact anyone else. It always does. 
Psalm 119 puts it this way, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Are you walking like somebody that has that light, the spirit? Do you have peace that supersedes circumstances in the, the good moments and the bad moments? Do you have wisdom? Do you have understanding? Do you have contentment? Do you have the right passion? Are you led by the Spirit? Do you have the light of God? Or are you walking in darkness? Are the people that are teaching in your life led by the light of Christ? Or are they faking it just well enough? Does the flashlight come on and off and it seems like they have a good pathway, but the path is pretty treacherous along the way. To to summarize part three of our tests, Any teaching worth listening to will come from someone whose words and actions complement each other. If there's not a connection, if there's not unity in what they say and what they do, not just on the topic they might have expertise in, but in life, then they don't pass the test. We have to be careful here. We can get real over antsy to cancel anybody and everybody for everything. It's like nobody you can quote anymore because you'll find something wrong that they said, and that's a guarantee. But we can apply this test. Goes the foundation good and right? What are the patterns in their teaching? Last part, verses uh, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This one is really simple. We do not claim to be perfect, rather we cling to the perfection of Christ. Any teaching worth listening to, any teacher worth following will not claim perfection, will not try to project perfection or anywhere near it. Again, the more mature a follower of Christ, the more aware of their sin, the quicker they are to repent, the quicker to point to Christ's perfection and to follow that. If anybody thinks or expresses in actual words or just projects an image of having it all together, they're not trustworthy because no one does. The greater the wisdom, the greater understanding, the more we look to Christ's perfection when we recognize how much we're lacking. There's a whole lot more in verses eight through 10. I was gonna actually go through chapter two, verse two, but I'm gonna save that for next week because you don't wanna be here all day. And we'll, uh, we'll kind of get the, the second part of that. I'll, I'll wrap up with this, though. This is a pass-fail test. There are no Bs or Cs available in this test. There's no gray, it's black and white. You either get it right, John says, or you get it wrong. It's either light or it's darkness. And there's so much vying for your attention and your influence to lead you that we need to do a good job of filtering for ourselves, for our family members, for our children. Not from a place of arrogance, like we know everything, but actually starting with humility at the very basics of who Christ is and what he does. And that the work of Christ works. He changes lives. If we don't see that, that should bring up uh, some questions for those we listen to and in our own lives. We shouldn't settle for, for anything less than that. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you for 
your goodness. Thank you for your leadership and your love. May you guide us to walk in the light. May you free us from the darkness. May you provide for us in every step along the way. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.